You know, it's a wonderful thing to actually sing that and really believe that in the midst of all our trials and our tribulations. And, uh, of course, one of the reasons we're able to do that is because God is a faithful and covenantal God. Um, before we come to our text today, let me tell you what we're doing if you're visiting. We looked at the book of Mark until about two weeks ago. We've been looking at the person of Christ in the book of Mark. Chapter 14, 15, 16 begins with the work of Christ. We wanted to wait till everybody was back to go over the work of Christ. And so what we decided to do was do a little series, six weeks, called Shadows of the Cross in the Old Testament. And somebody has said that the gospel uh, in the Old Testament is the gospel contained, and in the New Testament is the gospel uh, explained. And so what we looked at last week, this very important chapter in Genesis 3, where the Bible tells us why things are the way they are, why there's so much uh, sorrow and pain and suffering and sin and uh, treachery, because Adam and Eve, our first parents, who are real people, if you're to understand the gospel, did not believe God's word. And so they began to use reason through Satan, intelligent evil, to question the goodness of God. And so sin comes, right? We looked at that last week. But because God is a covenantal God, and he's a gracious God, he enters into a second covenant because by works, no man will be justified. Because Adam ruined that for us. By works of the law, no man shall be justified. But because God is merciful and gracious to sinners, while Adam and Eve are running and hiding and covering themselves up, God enters in. And in the midst of pronouncing the curse, he also pronounces a promise, doesn't he? That through the seed of the woman, Satan will be crushed, uh, though Christ hill would be bruised through his death on the cross, but through his resurrection, all things will be made new. The gospel is there. From then on out, in the Old Testament, it is an unfolding of Satan trying to get rid of that seed. So you go to the next chapter, chapter 4, right? And Cain kills Abel, but the promised seed was through Abel who offered a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. It was one that was biblical versus Cain. And so God raises up Seth. And then, of course, you see the, the promised seed almost destroyed as God was going to destroy the world. But because he remembered his promise in the garden, that seed is on the boat through Noah. And so throughout the Old Testament, you can see Satan wanting to destroy the promised seed. And, of course, ultimately, the promised seed dies on the cross. And it's a cosmic joke on Satan. Because in the midst of accomplishing what he thought was the proper thing to do was his destruction and our hope, right? Now, I've got John and I, let's see, we have five more chapters in the Old Testament <laughs> to try to prove this. So, so we're coming way out here later to the story of Isaac and Abraham. One year for me with Genesis 22, okay? okay? 
But to appreciate what's going on here, when God called Abraham, nobody believed. Abraham was an idolater, the promised seed. They had denied God, and the promises of God seemed to be over with. But you see, God keeps his promise. And so he calls Abraham. But he calls Abraham, who has a wife, who is way beyond childbearing years. And he makes a promise that ultimately through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. And we read last week where Paul said, that is Christ. And John, you said it well. Isaac is born of promise. But now we see that seed being threatened again, but it seems as though God himself is going to destroy that promise. That's kind of the backdrop. And so uh, with that, I want you to turn uh, to God's word. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. After uh, these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from, from afar. And then Abraham said to the young men, Stay with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took it in his hand, in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and, and laid the wood on the altar and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered, up, offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is God's word. Let's pray God would bless the preaching of his word.
Lord, we are grateful for your word. Your word is truth. All the promises in your word are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. Father, we get so confused because we do not understand that the Bible is about our Lord Jesus Christ, the creator and the redeemer of fallen men. Lord, we confess to you that we do not do what our bulletin says on the first page, which is looking to Christ alone. That he was lifted up for us. Father, I pray for those who are confused today. Maybe they've been confused for quite some time about the gospel. Lord, would your Holy Spirit work in them and work in all of us to better understand the gospel, the good news. And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. If you'll notice, I I titled the sermon, Making Connections. And the reason I did that is because most of life is about making connections, right? It's, It's connecting the dots. So the whole idea of getting an education, everybody says, we need education. You need more education. And the reason we need education and to learn how to read and write is because it helps us connect the dots. Now, that's why we go to college, or that's why we get a master's degree. And so connecting the dots, and the reason education is so important, is because it builds confidence in a way that we can navigate life. I mean, nothing's greater than to say, oh, I get it. Sitting on the front rows of a statistics professor. And I had statistics in college. And I remember sitting in that statistics class. And I, the first uh, month, I was with about 75% of the class that didn't, couldn't connect the dots. And I was starting to get nervous because other people were getting it. And then I remember, glory, hallelujah, one day it connected. If any of you have ever taken statistics, you know what I'm talking about. Once you get it, you got it. But you know, it's a whole lot better saying, uh, you know, I don't think they get it versus I don't think I get it. So making connections is the key to life. Would y'all agree that that's what it is? It's always trying to figure things out. But what is true in the temporal world is especially true to those things which are eternal. To not connect the dots in this temporal world is to be confused, right? And to be confused is to not build confidence. It is to always be somewhat uncertain, to not really know. And yet how much more important to those things which are everlasting to be for sure understanding and making the connection in such a way that there is hope for eternal life. Some of you suppress this. You just want to put it off and you don't want to think about it because you don't get it. You haven't made the connection. And therefore, the gospel is not something that brings hope and life. And God is your father, adopted, chosen, brought into his kingdom through the work of his son who's gained the inheritance. We do this thing that theologians say will destroy you. And it's called cooperative justification. It is that God has done his part in Jesus Christ. But now it's up to you and your faith in Jesus Christ. But you see, the Bible and our text is going to tell us 
that that will always lead to confusion. It will never lead to peace. It will never lead to assurance. It will never lead to the great life, the life of faith. You understand that? It will always lead into your life an uncertainty. Now, in the little time I've got left, this is exactly what this text is about. Because, you see, it's not about works righteousness. If it were about works righteousness, in my faith and what I do, then the text makes no sense. But if this text is about God's promise of provision to you this morning through His seed, then it's not even your faith that saves you. It is the promised seed. The promised seed who would come is the second Adam to die for you. Now, I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you believe God's promises? Or do you even care? It's like, well, I'm not going to think about that now. You know what? I'm too busy trying to connect the dots on my insurance policy. I'm too busy trying to connect the dots on how to make a million dollars or whatever, how, you know, how to raise my children. But you see, the question ends up really being, are, are we putting our faith in Christ? And what he's done. So here's what I want to say this morning. If you're to live the great life in assurance, then you must make the connection that Christianity has nothing to do with your performance. Nothing to do with your performance. But his substitutionary work on your, on your part. That's what this text is about. That's why this passage is so critical. Genesis 22 is a critical passage. And Paul picks up on it in Romans to aim at those who say it's Christ plus. Because that never leads to peace. If it's he and me, then me always eats up the he. And you look away from Christ and you begin to look to your faith. You begin to look to your, to your works rather than the provision that's here that we see in our text. Verse 31 of Romans 8 that's printed on the front of your bulletin says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over, uh, uh, delivered us over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And so you got the massive amounts of Christendom. Protestant and sacerdotalist. So that's massive amounts that are teaching that it is Christ plus something that justifies you. And our text teaches us, and our text we read in Romans teaches us, it is God who justifies. Now, if that's true, if that's true, and He has done that, would that, would that be good news? That you can begin to have the great life because you put your faith in Him. And you begin to trust him. I want you to make the connection this morning and to do that. And it's going to be hard to do this at 1135. 
How many points do we usually have? Three, right? There's a problem, there's a solution to the problem, and then there's a response to the problem. But here's what I want us to look at. Number one is the world and you and me are messed up. And then I want us to see that we must trust God alone to save us from the mess we're in. God alone. And then finally I want us to see that the cost... The cost to our God, our Heavenly Father, and Christ our brother, who Isaac is a type of Christ, Abraham is a type of father, the Father in heaven, for us to get out of this mess. And you must believe that promise. Here's the first thing to see. The world and you and me are a mess. Now, do I need to read the Bible to tell you that? Does, does anybody in the world need to read the Bible to know that? You see, all the religions in the world and all the religions in the world are because they kind of sense that there's something not right with us. And so they create all this works righteousness because everything about life here is about performance, right? Getting good grades, making degrees. And everything in the Bible is the exact opposite of that. It's about what God has done. G.K. Chesterton uh, says this about the fallenness of the world. Certain new theologians dispute original sin, which is the only part of Christian theology which can really be proved. (laughs) And I think we'd all agree with Chesterton. But where do we see this in our text? Where do we see that the world is a mess? It's in the testing of Abraham. Now I want you to to put your thinking cap on. I want you to think about this. What is being tested? His faith. Not his works. But not his faith in his faith. That's called a fideism. You ever go, well, I do. I need to try harder to believe. I, need, I don't believe in works righteousness. I don't believe, but I really do need to believe in Jesus. I re- and they say, you know what you're doing? You're putting your faith in your faith. And either, both of those are killers. Do you understand that? What Abraham is being told, and thus you this morning, is to put your faith in God's promise, even when it doesn't make sense. Because we're going to see this a little bit later. It does not make sense that after 40 years, almost 40 years, God is going to tell Abraham to kill the promise, the hope of the world. But isn't this true that the reason we take tests in this world is because it's a mess? Let let me make my point about that. Uh, If you see a doctor in this room, they they deserve every bit of of money they make, trust me. And I'm going to tell you why they do. Because you know what? I find out uh, they're always having to take tests. Uh, You know, isn't it great that one day when we go to heaven, we won't have to take tests anymore? Have you ever thought about if you live forever and you still had to take tests to make sure you could stay there? I mean, I'm glad when I go to heaven, I don't have to pay a mortgage anymore. Y'all ever worried about where you're going to get your mortgage paid, your rent paid? 
You know, when you go to heaven, that'd be terrible. But you see, Christ has paid it all. He's paid the debt. Okay, but I digress. So here are these doctors, and they're, they're, they're taking tests. You know why they're taking tests? Because the world is a dangerous place. Because, you see, the headache is a tumor. The stomachache is cancer. The eyes that begin to, you know, the glaucoma is really the, the thing that's beginning to make you, make you blind. And why is that so? Because you know what? When Adam and Eve sinned, they plunged this paradise into misery. Yeah, you take driver's tests, like teenagers, 15, 16 years old. You, take, you know why you take driver's tests? Make sure you don't kill us. Because you know what? People die in car wrecks. And so he takes sobriety tests. You know why he takes sobriety tests? Because people break the rules. And they go, I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm good. And they're irresponsible. That's sin. And we're all irresponsible. That's sin. And I could go on and on and on about tests. Uh, we have lawyers here. You know why you need lawyers? Because we're at odds with each other. And so they take tests. Why do the lawyers take tests? To make sure that they're not screwing your life up. To need a mediator. And so we, 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 the, the idea of testing is because the world is not a safe place. So ultimately test or see if we're proficient about the subject that, that we know, you see. Our text teaches us the consequences of living in a messy world. The con- what is the consequences of living in a messy world? What was it for Abraham? Displacement. God said, go. And Abraham said, Where? And he says, it doesn't matter. I want you going for my purposes. I want you to submit to my word, my promises. I promise you that through you, all the worlds will be blessed. We're going to correct the problem. And what did Abraham do? He went. And then what does God do here? He tells him to get up and go again. So there's always displacement. And I'll tell you what, even if you're not a Christian today, you're, you're an unbeliever, you know what? You're struggling with displacement all the time. Right? You're, you know, you have to move somewhere to get a job. And you love your family, but you have to move. Uh, you feel displaced in this world because you see you got death is sitting out there telling you there's another place you might be going. For the Christian, it is to submit to God. And, and so, so Abraham, if we look at his life, he's on the move all the time. But you know what Abraham says in Hebrews? It says, ultimately, that Abraham was seeking that city whose foundation and maker is God. You see, he was a man of faith. He understood it's not about this world. Ultimately, it's about the recreation of this world and a new heavens and a new earth. And I'm telling you, he understood that without written scriptures. Why? Because he was a man of faith. But there's uncertainty, you see. Not, not only is there displacement, there, but there's uncertainty. And again, if I'm going to address you as an unbeliever, I want to tell you what, that's why you have insurance. That's why you're trying to save as much money as you can. That's why you're trying to get as educated as you can. That's why many of you are driven, you're type A's, or you're, or you're the other way around and just given up on it. Because you see that there's uncertainty that's there. But you know, there's uncertainty for a believer. How does this work for the believer? Well, God tells Abraham that through your seed, all the nations are going to be blessed. And now what is he going to do? What's he telling him to do? He's telling him to kill the promised seed. To not kill it. 
offer up an important distinction. What? Offer up? Now, how's that work in your life? Well, some of you are young believers. You've been a Christian for about two years. And the honeymoon's over. And you thought your life was going to turn out this way. And you're, I'm going to marry a Christian husband or wife. Or I'm gonna, this is going to be this way, and I get it. I get the sermon this time. You ever come out of, gone out of Redeemer and gone, I got it now. <laughs> it doesn't turn out that way, does it? And God says, offer up. And you go, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. And I'm going to tell you, here's the divide that begins. For many of you who will eventually float away. The, the parable of the sower cares of the world and the sufferings of life and the trials and tribulations. But you see, Abraham was going to persevere. You know why? Because God called him. Again, uh, 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 Agonia, Charles Agonia, remember when he preached? He said, many of, you, many of you are following Christ, but you've never been called. It's only those who are called. You say, how do I know I'm, gonna, I'm called? You go, well, this makes no sense, but you know what? I believe your promises. So the, so, so the world is a mess. And, and so we're being tested to see if we're really citizens of another world. And by the way, there's deep silence for many, many years in Abraham's life. You might, you might heard God speak and you know it's true. And, but you know what now? Your marriage is kind of falling apart. Your finances are falling apart. And your life's falling apart. And you don't hear God talk and you don't hear God talk. And you begin to go, what good is it for me? What good has it been? Now for some, they'll go, no good. And they leave. But not Abraham, you know why? Because God's faithful. But he's engaging the faithfulness of God. And so the second thing to see is this, is that we must trust God alone to save us from the mess we're in. Please, dear, dear brother and sister, I, I don't have much time left because we have to come to the Lord's table. But let, but let me tell you this. Until you understand that you will trust in the gospel alone, you will never connect the dots, and you will be miserable. Some of the most miserable people I know are theological people. I've known many, many people that have left our tradition to go to other traditions. Or people that are staying in our tradition. And I talk to them, and I'm trying to understand what's going on in their lives. But really, when it gets right down to it, it's just too easy to believe, as Jesus said, as the serpent was lifted up in the Old Testament. And all they had to do was look and be healed because God provided a salvation. Jesus himself says, so is the Son of Man lifted up, that whosoever believeth in the Son of God shall not perish but have everlasting life. Period. Where do we see that in our text? Well, uh, we see that in the fact that God tells Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac. Sacrifice Isaac? Uh, the promise? Uh, this doesn't make sense because if you sacrifice Isaac, then the, the promise is dead. 
But what do we see? That Abraham dies. Abraham responds because even though he doesn't understand, he has come to the point after 40 years that he believes that contrary to rationality, that God would remain faithful. Now, where do we see that in our text? Uh, we see that, I think, in verse 3, verse 4, where you remember when he, t- takes, he takes Isaac and, and he gets the wood and he gets the knife? What, what, is, what does he tell those two servants? We will be back. He knew this. He knew that God would keep his promise in Isaac. And in his mind, it, it was this. He's going to raise him from the dead. Now, where do we see that? Well, we see it in our text. And, and, and by the way, he, he was going to carry this out, right? He's ready to offer up the firstborn. But we see it especially in Hebrews when it clearly tells us in Hebrews that Abraham, by faith, believed that God would raise him from the dead. And friends, if there's no resurrection of the dead, you're dead. If God does not have mercy through the work of Christ and Christ's resurrection, let me tell you, your hope. The grave and worms. And the wages of sin is death. The whole point of the text is that God provides. Do you understand how you can't connect the dots if you are not believing the way Abraham does, that I don't understand what you're doing, but I know this, you will keep your promise. Well, I wish I could say more about that, but I have to come to the third and most important point of our text, and that is this. The cost of our God to deliver us from the mess that we've made and continue to make. Y'all continue to make messes of your life. (laughs) But what is the cost? Let me tell you what this text is pointing to. There has to be a sacrifice. You remember the death angel? God, he comes in with, with Israel and he's bringing his final judgment upon the Egyptians. And it's the oldest son. Because you see, somebody has to pay. And in the Old Testament, to understand this, we, we think in individualistic terms, the oldest son was the one who had the inheritance. And so he was to be given back to God because God owned him. But because of our sin, there's none righteous. And so there must be atonement. And so when the death angel comes in, he's coming after not the third son. I'm, I was number six son, so I, was, I would have been good. But I didn't have the inheritance. It's through the oldest son. And you see, there has to be judgment. And not only did the Egyptian's oldest son die, because somebody has to pay. If you were a Jew, and you were the oldest son, and you did not Find yourself inside the house where the blood of the lamb was shed across its doorpost. You died. So where do we see God providing? Well, he withholds Abraham, right? He says, Abraham, now I know that you believe me. Period. Not me plus you. 
right? And so what does he see? He sees a ram in the thicket. Where does he see that ram? On Mount Moriah. And what is Mount Moriah? It's where the temple was built a thousand years later. And it's where Christ was crucified on the mounts, the, the Moriah mountain range. Here's what this text is saying, and, and I close on this. You see, God withheld and provided this, this lamb, withheld Abraham, who was willing to offer up the promise, offer up his own son, whom he loved. But you see, somebody has to pay. And the ultimate provision is not the blood of lambs and goats. How can the, how can blo the blood of animals take away sin? This is fulfilled when God the Father let his son take upon himself a piece of wood up a hill. And there he is on the cross... And God the Father plunges his wrath upon Christ, the innocent Lamb of God, for the remission of our sins. As we come to the Lord's table, your only hope is that he is the second Adam, the God-man, who has substituted for anybody in this room who will trust in him, period. To trust in Jesus Christ plus anything is to not trust him at all. Have you done that? You see, have you gotten to the point where you say, well, Lord Jesus, you've given yourself to me. I get this. You have substituted for me. You provided salvation for me. Now I don't give my works to you. I don't give my gyrations to you. I don't give my prayers to you. My quiet times to you. My evangelism to you. I give myself to you. And dear friends, if you haven't done that, then you're not connecting the dots. You've never connected the dots. Oh, I pray that you would see the love of Jesus Christ for you, that God the Father turn his back. And if your sins are on Jesus Christ, as John, you told Carrie this morning, when Jesus died, let me tell you, he died for his people. And he sent the Holy Spirit to adopt you into the family of God. Come to Jesus Christ today. He's finished the work. And trust him by faith. Believe in his promises. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to convert people today. Lord, that they would not enter into the labyrinth of Christ plus what I do. But as we will celebrate the Lord's table is a visible sign that the work of Christ is finished and that we receive these elements by faith and are strengthened 
as sons and daughters adopted into the family of God. Lord, would you convert people this morning that they would know the joy of resting in Christ in Him alone. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If those helping with communion would come forward, John will be helping with communion. The Father did not withhold his son from us, but freely offered him up as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of his people. As we come to the Lord's table with this preaching from God's word in our, in our minds still ringing in our ears, if we come to the table, consider the cost of salvation. And consider who paid the cost. God did. Right? God required everything of Abraham, but God but Abraham paid nothing. Even the ram that was provided was not even from Abraham's flock. It was a gift from God. So God provides the cost. God pays the cost. And this engages us in faithfulness to the Lord, to take him at his word, to believe him. So as you come to the Lord's table... I want to encourage you to do two things. First, you come rejoicing, praising God for his covenant mercy, his faithfulness, his steadfast love. He never, never changes course, never stops, never breaks his promise. It's impossible for him to break his promise. Come and rejoice and praise God for that. And then secondly, do this. Look to him as the one who can enable you to stand and to believe in his promise. You find yourself doubting him. He can enable you to stand and to trust him. Look to him. Ask him to do that again. As we come to the Lord's table, this is uh, it's a covenant meal. It's for the covenant family of God. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're not in him, if you don't believe all that this points to, then to participate in this meal, which seals those promises is a dangerous business, God says. If that's where you are, then we would offer both a warning, don't come to this table, but also again an invitation, come to this Savior. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're baptized into him, a member of his body, the church, looking to him and him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel, he says, come For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed, and you will live. And so we come to feed and feast on Christ the Savior. Scripture says, on the night the Lord was betrayed, he took bread and he said, breaking it and giving thanks as we've done, this is my body, take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, in the same way, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink. And when you eat and drink, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As you come to receive the elements from the elders, we'll begin with those of you who are seated in the middle section, then uh, move to the outside. Uh, The cups along the outside tray contain wine, the other cups, grape juice. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Lord, we thank you for word and sacrament. We thank you that you proclaim good news to us in Jesus Christ, 
that your promises uh, have gushed forward from your mouth to us. And then that you attach to that word signs and seals that we can see and touch and taste and hear and smell. And that you're so eager that we believe your promise that you've gone to such lengths to secure our hope and trust. Lord, please work that way this morning. Thank you for the good news of your provision. The Lord does provide. You have provided. You have seen to it. And so, Lord, turn our affections to you, deepen our trust and faith in you. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.